Uh, I'm sorry, the junior devil has to go back to college. And uh, so I appreciate uh, Kevin and Zach uh, sharing with us over the last several weeks. We've been talking about the whole thing of what it means to be a Christian or what is a Christian. And we've been talking about the definition of that is sometimes difficult because what happens is in Scripture, only three times in the whole New Testament is the word Christian used. And all three times it's simply used to describe somebody by outsiders. It's not used by Christians themselves or followers of Christ to describe themselves. The word they use to describe themselves in the, in the Bible is the word disciple. And the disciple is very clearly delineated and it, it's what it means. And so we've been ta- trying to flesh that out over the last several weeks. We've talked about how growing people change and how once you become to Christ, uh, come to Christ, that what happens is, is you begin to change in your life and God changes you in various ways. Uh, we talked about how we can't live life alone, about how what happens in our life so often is we have to understand that we were not meant to be persons who uh, live life alone. We need people in our life to hold us accountable, and we do that intentionally as well. And uh, we talked last week about we can't outgive God, but how God is generous, and God changes us to become generous as well. But today, I want to talk about another area, and that's the area of, uh, and we use a little phrase called found people, find people. And that's the, the phrase we use often in churches is the word evangelism. Now, when I mention that word, all of a sudden your stress level just went up. Uh, about uh, 20 points, um, because evangelism for many of us, uh, because of our understanding of it, or maybe our misunderstanding of it, uh, can be stressful for us. Uh, we have the stress of sharing our faith and stressful sometimes for us uh, because sometimes we've heard these stories and we think this is what it's all about. I'm re- I never forget that when I was a student pastor, my first eight years in ministry, um, I remember a youth evangelist coming to a conference that we were at, and he shared the story about on the way to the conference, he'd flown in a plane from Dallas up to where we were in Virginia. And, and on his way there on the plane, he shared about how he got on the plane and sat next to this person. As he sat next to this person, he began to talk to them about Christ and how they accepted Christ and, and how uh, then the, the stewardess was listening in and she was interested and he talked and shared her, with her later about accepting Christ. And, all that. and I'm going, does that really happen? You know, the people just talk to random strangers you know, because it, he made it sound like it was a natural process that happened there, that you just share Christ and people automatically want to listen to you. But I've not found that to be true. I don't know if you found it to be true or not, but generally that's not the case. Um, and so we have this, this stress in our life. Uh, we have this, and it's stressful for the people that we're sharing with as well. I mean, we're talking about the Bible to them, and we're saying, you know, we, we use the Bible as the, as the foundation, and they're, uh, it's a book they probably don't even read. So why do they want to talk about the Bible? Or, or they're asking this question, why do these people feel, feel, compel, uh, feel compelled to uh, share this stuff with me? Can't they just keep it to themselves? That's what the people that we're sharing with sometimes feel. Or we'll share, we'll share these really awkward conversations. And I remember uh, growing up in the Baptist church about one of the questions that people would say, you need to ask people somewhere along the line is, if you were to die today... Some of you are shaking your heads. You know, the, you know this question. If you were to die today and, and, uh, and God was to come before you and, you know, say, why should you get into heaven? You know, what would your answer be? Would you, are you for certain that you would, if you were to die, you were going to heaven? Who wants to have a conversation about that? That's fairly awkward and fairly stressful. Well, today, by the time we finish this message, my hope is this. Is that you will understand a little bit more about what the Bible scripturally says about this whole thing of sharing our faith, that you will feel that you're doing more a part of it, and you will understand it's not just about sharing like the four spiritual laws or the Roman road 
or steps to peace with God or something like that. There's more to it than that. Because we usually think that success in evangelism is basically this. Did you share and did they pray the prayer? Isn't that true? We think that evangelism is, you know, if I'm successful, did you share? Did you share the message and did they pray the prayer? That We think that is all evangelism is about. But the Bible says clearly that salvation is an event. That when people come to know Christ is an event. But evangelism is a process. It's a process that people go through, and it's a process that we have to help people through. So today I'm going to look at two passages of Scripture and encourage you to open your, the first one to open your Bible to, because I'm not even going to put it on the screen. I'm not giving you help today, okay? I want to encourage you to take your Bible. The second one I will put on the screen for you. So if you have a Bible, uh, open it to uh, a passage over in Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have one, we have a bunch in the back, and... and uh, you're welcome more than any time to pick one of them up and use it. And if you picked one of those up back there, and if you don't have a Bible, feel free to not only pick one up, but to keep it. Um, in Matthew 13, uh, which is in the New Testament, it's the first book in the New Testament, the second, basically, maybe three-fourths of the way through the Bible. Uh, you can find it there. Matthew 13, Jesus is telling a parable. And he often spoke in parables, and this parable it deals with this whole issue of sharing our faith and how it, how it happens. And he's sharing this with his disciples, his followers. And uh, in in verse 3, he begins by saying this. He says, he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. And it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now Jesus stops here, and then he begins to tell them why he told this in a parable. Now we're not going to really look at that portion today, but he tells them, you know, this is why I'm speaking in this parable. And then he tells them a little bit further, if you look down a little further, verse 18, he tells what this parable means. This is the, the, the thrust of what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. He says this in verse 18. Listen, then, this is what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, the gospel, we call it, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed, seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only that last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorn refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now, for just a moment, let's look at the variables that are in this story. There's, there's three variables here that uh, we see in the story. The first is the sower, the messenger. Now, was the messenger in the story in each one of these areas the same? The messenger is the same. The, the messenger is basically, it doesn't say there's any difference in the messenger. The messenger was the person who was scattering the seed. In a sense, it stands for those of us who are sharing our faith in some way along the way. 
The seed, the message, was there any difference here along the way? It said it was seed. It was the same, it was the same thing. All, th- all three scenarios, it was the same basic seed. It was the same basic message. But what was the one variable that was different in each situation? This is not hard. It was the soil. The soil was different. The, the, difference, the one difference was the soul. And so the, the message here, in a sense, about the receptivity and the success of someone coming to a place of following Christ, it's not so much about the messenger. It's not so much about the message even. It's about the preparation of the soil in this story. The one thing that makes the difference was how prepared the person's heart was in this story. Because evangelism... Is not just about scattering seed, telling the story of Jesus Christ, even though it has a part of it. It's a process. It's a process uh, that involves scattering seed and preparation of soil. And this probably matches with your experience and my experience as well, because I don't know about you, but you probably, you know, uh, those of you who have been Christians for a while, probably time after time after time in some way have wanted some friend of yours or some family member of yours to come to Christ. You've prayed about it. You've 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 shared in some way, uh, and and you just keep going and going and going, and you finally going like they're never going to do this. Maybe it's because I'm not doing a very good job of sharing, and we take it up all upon ourselves. But in this story, it says, you know, eh, maybe maybe that's not the only thing. And, and some of you, you know, you think think they are finally you might get them to church. You know, you're going like this person I've been trying to get to come to Christ. Uh, you finally get them to church, and what happens is, is when they come to church finally, what happens is you're going like, oh, there was a clear presentation of the gospel that day. The pastor actually did a good job for a change. And, and so you're going like, man, they got to get, they, ha- they have to get in. You're sitting there on the edge of your seat thinking, oh, they're going to finally get it. And then they go out and they're going like, well, that was not, lighting was kind of weird. The band, it was good, loud. Or, you know, we don't talk about anything else except the message. And you're going like, what's the problem here? Or I know some of you, I mean, I've heard this a thousand times. You go out the door and you'll come to me, Pastor, Pastor Bill, do you have a tape of that message? And I'm going, sure, if you want to listen. No, no, it's not for me. It's for my friend who needs to hear this. I know what you're doing. You, you care about that friend and you want them to know the truth of something and you want thinking that's going to be the key that breaks down the door that makes them. And you give them the tape and they take it and they listen to it. They actually listen to it. And nothing really happens. Or maybe something does happen. I don't know. But it's not always about the, the message and the messenger. Sometimes it's about the preparation of the soil. I can tell you example of this after example of this, but many years ago, one of the best I thought was many years ago when I was a student pastor, one of the things we did is we always often trained our students in how to share their faith. I'll never forget this because we would share, uh, there's different ways of doing that when you get the person to a place of, you know, wanting to follow Christ and, and you share either there's the Roman road, which is taking some verses out of Romans and talking about those. There's steps to peace with God. Uh, there's, you know, there's numerous different ways of doing that. The bridge illustration, uh, all kind of different things that you can do. And so we would share with them about that. And then we would say, you know, guys, okay, we're going to practice this, you know, and those bold students that would do that would, would have, they bring a kid to, uh, one time I remember, uh, uh, one of the guys in the youth group said, Hey, I want to do this. I'm bringing some of my friends that I'm going to share with them right here in front of everybody. And so he did. 
And he got up to share the presentation, and it was the lousiest presentation I've ever, I've ever heard before in my life. I mean, he, one of the other kids looks at him in the middle of the presentation of sharing the gospel, and he looks at him and goes, that's not right. That's not what we talked about. And at the end of the presentation, he goes, he goes, looks at his, his, his friends, and one of them, he looks at him particularly, he says, do you want to follow Christ? And I'm going like, there's no way this is going to happen. I didn't even, I didn't even understand it. And the kid says, yes, I do. And I'm going like, okay, the kid is really clueless. Let's make sure he understands what's going on here. And so I asked some clarifying questions. Did you understand what he was saying? And I go through my more polished presentation. And, so, and the kid knows, yes, I understand that. That's what I'm going to do. I want to make that commitment. And I'm going like, how can he have this lousy presentation? And how can he do Because the soil was prepared. The kid was ready. It's the preparation of the soul that has much as much to do with the success of a person coming to Christ is just scattering seed. Because I can remember many times as a youth pastor where I'd have kids bring their friends and then they would sit down and and I would share with them straightforwardly this really polished uh, presentation with incredible stories and, you know, great illustrations that would grip them. And then they'd kind of be looking at the ceiling and, you know, and I'm going like, wow, what's the deal? Because the issue is that salvation is a process, and we have to understand where people are. There are stages to people coming to Christ, and this has a lot to do with us understanding that and also understanding our role in it today. And so let me share with you real quickly some stages that people come through, uh, go through, and all of us come through these stages in different ways. First of all, a person who is far from God, first of all, the first stage is God brings a person or persons into their life that is a follower of Christ. That's the person is the messenger. God brings somebody in. You can think back in your own life if you're a Christian. Somewhere along the way, God brought somebody into your life, whether it be somebody who's in the community, a family member, or somebody who was a messenger, who, was the, uh, who followed Christ. The second thing that happens is this person who needs Christ becomes aware that the messenger is a Christian. That this person is a follower of Christ and it makes a difference in their life. And so they began to understand that. And then they began to understand something else that's important to this person that's a friend who's a follower of Christ. They become aware of the relevance of the Bible. They understand that when they talk about things, they refer back to Scripture. And this is how Scripture has led me in this direction. And, and, And they began to talk about that and understand that. And after a while, what happens in a person's life, they begin to develop a positive attitude toward the Bible that they've never had before. Oh, this is not just a, just a normal book, but this is an important book because this is a book that tells us what God is, how God works with people's lives. And then what happens is a person goes to the next stage and, and they hear and uh, they begin to understand the gospel. They hear it some way through, through a message through a small group, through a Bible study, through somebody sharing with them. In some way, they hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and they, they understand the gospel. Finally, they, they recognize their need. Because a person, if they think everything's all right in their life, they're not going to follow Christ. They have to recognize that I have this gap, there's this difference, that God is over here, and I'm over here, and there's no way that I can get between the two places unless God provides a way. And so in doing that, what happens, they recognize their personal need. And finally, they put their faith in Christ. That's a process that 
that generally speaking, that I found to be true in almost every situation. And if you think of your own life and the process you've been through, you probably went through that same type of scenario. If that is true, if evangelism of sharing our faith is a process, then what does that mean for you and for me? Well, it doesn't mean that all we have to do is to share the gospel all the time, just to scatter seed all the time. It's not just about going and, and, you know, and telling people this is what you have to do because it wouldn't work. We'll talk about that in a minute. And it also doesn't mean that all you have to do is just live a good life before people. Because just living a good life before people does not in and of itself and by itself help people to go through the stages that they are, they are in. So what does it mean? Number one, it means this. It means we must be sensitive to where people are in the process. We must be sensitive to where people are. In the process, one of the greatest tools that you and I can develop in our life is a sensitivity to understand where people are. It would be foolish of us to quote scripture to a person who has no respect for scripture. Ever tried that? Because I don't care if you can quote scripture all day, but if they have no respect, they've not come to that place in their life where they have a respect and they see the scripture as relevant. They have no respect for scripture. They're not going to respond to that. And so we have to understand the person may not be there yet. And it also would be foolish to try to prove to someone the Bible is the word of God if they already believe that the Bible is true. I mean, we're just wasting our time. And it would also be foolish to assume that a person recognizes there is a need for God when they think that everything is all right in their life. If they've not come to a place of realizing there's this gap in their life between them and God, and there's no way they can reach there. You know, if, if I'm happy with where I am, then I probably am not going to follow Christ. So we must be sensitive to where people are in the process. As you think about friends, neighbors, family members, Think through it and think, where are they in the process? Are they at the front of the process where maybe the only thing is that they have you in their life as a believer? Have they even come to the stage yet where they're aware that the Bible is relevant in any way? Have they heard and understood the gospel? I mean, where are they in the process? The second thing we have to be uh, we have to be aware of is not only must, must we be sensitive to where people are, but we need to make a commitment to helping people move to the next stage. We talk at Great Oaks here all the time about this. We're here to help people take their next step with God, towards God, because it's a process. You know, one of the things we need to pray continuously is this: Lord, help me to use me to help take, help them take the next step, whatever that may be. It may be they're early on in the process and all they need is to recognize, well, all Christians are not just weird. You know, that might be your greatest next step. And going back to the airplane story I shared at the first about that plane, I will guarantee you. This is the problem. So often we hear those stories and we think, well, that's all that happened. 
No, I can guarantee you that the person that that youth evangelist sat next to on the plane had already gone through steps one through seven. And he, they were just ripe for the picking. They were like that student. They were like that student that my that student my youth group came and brought with them, who who shared because it wasn't about the incredible uh, story that they told or incredible presentation. It was because the person, the soil had been prepared, and they were ready to make that commitment. And I want to share with you, some of your friends are probably close to that. Now, some may be far away, but some may be close as well. We have to be aware of where they are and make a commitment to helping them move to the next stage. So what does it mean for you and me? Let's look at another passage of Scripture. In John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46, there's three questions that deals with this issue. What does that mean for you and what does that mean for me? The first question is this. If you're going to share your faith in Christ, the first question is this. When did you meet Christ? When did you meet Christ? Or when did you follow Christ? In John 1, chapter 1, verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Somewhere along the way, Jesus encounters us. Like I said, Jesus place, God places people in our life. And he seeks after us. You know, we often say, well, I've heard people say, well, I found Jesus. Well, no, you didn't. Jesus found you. And I can prove it from Scripture. This next passage proves it from Scripture. In in, uh, in Romans 3, verses 10, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's a, I'm sure that's going to be a verse you put on your refrigerator as encouragement, right? No, that's not one that gets on coffee cups. But the truth is, it says that none of us seek God. God's, God's always seeking us. He's trying to find us. And here in this encounter, it says that, uh, that uh, Jesus decided to leave and he found Philip. The question that I would ask is this. When did you begin to have a relationship with Christ? Because, you know, you're not going to share something that you don't have. And I think many times we think just because we come to church, and I've shared this before, you can come to church all your life and sit in this room all your life and never become a Christian. It's not when you were confirmed, not when you were baptized, not when you you just prayed the prayer. When did you start having a real personal relationship with Jesus Christ that changed who you are? And so Jesus asked the question, he says, he looks, he looks at Philip and he says to Philip, he says, follow me. And that's interesting because in that day, in that language, Jesus was considered a rabbi. And the rabbis had people called Talmids. And Talmids were people who followed them. And guess what the word Talmud basically means? It means disciple. You know what a Talmud did literally? If you were a Talmud of a, of a rabbi, you would actually follow them around and do everything they did. If they went to the market and you were walking through the market and, and they picked up a piece of fruit and smelled it, guess what you did? You picked up a piece of fruit and smelled it because you wanted to be exactly like your town, like your rabbi, identical to your rabbi. You wanted to follow him because you believed that this person was worth following. And so when they think of this in this culture, they were going like Jesus said, follow me. It means follow me and do what I do. See, that's the goal of as followers of Christ to follow him, not just to follow a list of rules, but to follow him. Jesus Christ. 
The point is this, is that there's a lot of persons who are not passionate about telling other people about Jesus Christ because they've never met him. And that's the first question we have to ask ourselves before anything else. Have I met Jesus Christ? When did you meet Christ? That's the first question. The second question is this. If you can answer the first question, you know, yes, I've met Jesus Christ. This is when it happened. The second question is this. Who do you know that needs a relationship to Jesus Christ? Who or whom do you know that needs a relationship to Jesus Christ? See, when we become, uh, when we meet Christ, we become consumed with what consumes Jesus. And it says in John 1, it says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And so Philip, after Jesus found him, it says, Philip found Nathaniel. And told him, we have found the one who Moses wrote about the law, about whom uh, the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Do you know what Jesus' mission statement was? It comes out of Luke chapter 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That's his, that's his mission statement. His purpose. Seek and save that which is lost. And if we become a believer, one of the things that we are doing as his disciple, his follower, his Talmud, is that we want to have the same purposes in our life. And we want to seek and save. We should have a passion for those who are lost. But we have to understand it's a process. It's not just about sharing, you know, the story and making them go across the line. It's not just about, you know, sharing our faith, telling the story and praying the prayer. It's about helping people to get from where they are to where they need to be. It's a commitment. To hang with people for periods of time. So who do you know that needs a relationship with Jesus Christ? And I would share with you that that there's there's you know lots of people, you know lots of people. Unless you live, well, you came to church, so you get to get out of your house today, okay? So if you only stay at your house and never go anywhere, never meet anybody, you know, if you go anywhere, you know people. If you go to school, if you go to, go, to, go to work, if you go down to the store, you will find people that need to know Jesus Christ. You know those people. And so we have to ask ourselves that and, and say, you know, that being the case, that being the case, what's my role? Where are they in this process? And how do I help them take the next step? Because there's a hunger in people's lives. Let me give you an illustration of that. Um, back in 1972, the first actual real video game was introduced. Anybody know what it was that, w- that was actually marketable? Pong. It was made by Atari. Thank you, Carl. Now, Carl, you and I remember Pong. Now, some of these younger folks go like, Pong? Pong was so cool, wasn't it? I mean, back then in 19, you know, early 70s or mid-70s, Pong was it. We had never seen anything as incredible as Pong. You know, Pong was the dumbest game of all time. I basically get on the screen and go, me, me, me. You know, the little ball bounces around. We thought, oh, that's so Nothing can get any better than this. Boy, were we surprised. When in 1985, actually in 1977, Atari 2600 came out. And there was some cool games like Combat and Missile Command. Y'all remember those, right? Some of you do. Shaking your head. <laughs> this is like, oh, you remember 1985? It was really cool. Nintendo. Nintendo. You know? Remember those cartridges? 
Those little cartridges, you stick it. It was one of the first cartridge actually games. And you stick a little cartridge in, except they wouldn't work. And you take them and go, and you stick them back in. Some of you have those. Remember that, you know, you know, why do you do that? I don't know. They, you know, maybe spit on them or something, make better contact electric. I don't know what the deal was. But we did that. You know, when you had like Super Mario Brothers and stuff like that, you know, and it was like, you know, that whole deal. And we're going like, man, it's getting so cool. It couldn't get any better than this. And then 1995, PlayStation comes along. 2001, Xbox. And 2005, Xbox 360. And 2006, PlayStation 3. And then 2006, also Nintendo Wii comes out. Now you have all the things where you can actually stand in front of it. And do this. And actually control the game. You know, you could, you know, you don't, I mean, who would have thought that back at Pong days, you know? And guess what happens every time something new comes out? I've gotta have that! You do, don't you? You will die if you don't get it. Because we're never satisfied. You know, we should have been satisfied with Pong. Because it was so cool. But we're never satisfied. The reason that we're never satisfied is because we were created for something more than this world. Everyone you know has a God-sized hole in their heart. And the only thing that can fill a God-sized hole is what? God. And so, folks, don't say that, you know, everybody is somewhere in that continuum from I mean, I don't know anybody. If they know you, they're at stage one of the process. And God has called us to tell them about him and help people through the process. Finally, the last question is, is this, and it's in verse 46. And it says, the question is, how do we reach the world for Christ? You know, nothing is worse than somebody saying, you need to do something, but not telling you how to do it. So I'm going to give you evangelism 101. Okay, it comes out of verse 46. Uh, this is what Philip practiced. It says, Philip says, uh, Nathaniel says to Philip, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? I mean, you probably, if you've shared your faith with anybody at any time, you probably heard this question. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to come to church with you? I mean, it's just another waste of time. And, 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 and Philip was very aware of where Nathaniel was. He was very cognizant of where he was in this process. And instead of trying to arguing with Nathaniel, what Philip does is simply this. He says, what? Come and see. Come and see. What he does is that Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathaniel, and Nathaniel, Philip invites him to go and meet Jesus, to come and see, and begin the process of exploring the questions. And we can read the rest of it, which we're not today, and Nathaniel follows Christ. See, I want to challenge you to do something incredibly simple, okay? This week, I'm going to give you a one-week assignment, Evangelism 101. We have two events coming up this week. On Saturday, we have the community bash coming up. You know what the community, the purpose of the community bash is? You think you know what the purpose is, but it's not really that purpose. This purpose of the community bash is evangelism 101. 
It's a place, it's non-threatening for people that are not really far along in the process. You can, you can invite to that. You, you know, these are people that you said try to come to church and they won't come to church. But you're going like, well, come to a fun event. We're going to have something for your kids. You can bounce around in bouncy things. You can eat food. You can uh, play basketball. You can run a 5K. You can eat breakfast. You can do those type of things. Those are pretty non-threatening things, right? But what's going to happen here is there's going to be volunteers. There's going to be you. And you're going to invite these friends. And what I want you to do is not just invite them and not show up. You invite them and bring them here. And you interact with them. And you, and, and you introduce them to other people. That are Christians. And they start going like, you know, hey, those people are not as weird as I thought. Come and see. Come and see. And you probably know some people that are there. That are not connected with any church. And if they are, it's very marginally. I mean, they're Easter and Christmas Christians. Those are the people you invite to the community bash. So I'm telling you how to do it. Come and see. But then there's other people in your life that you've been kind of encouraging for a while, and they, they feel some the Bible has some relevance. And every once in a while, you've had the opportunity of kind of simply sharing, this is the way it's helped me. You know, if I have this issue with my kids or I have this issue in my business relationships or my relationships with my spouse, you know, I, this is what God's word has to say to me. And they've actually listened to that, but they haven't really connected yet. And they haven't crossed the line. and They haven't said yes to Jesus Christ yet. Let me tell you, next Sunday's the time you need to bring them to Great Oaks. Because next Sunday, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop the series where we are. And Chris is going to finish it up on Labor Day weekend. And next week's going to be called the Divine invitation and it's in as and as lovingly and as straightforwardly as i can i'm going to share with them the very basic and share with you the very basic of what it means to follow jesus christ as lord and savior and how do you step across the line and so you share with your friends that are at that point you got to be sensitive where they are hey guys if you want to know what it means to become a christian to what how do you step across the line next week's the time you need to come to church because that's the whole message that's going to be about that Come and see. Come and see. Now, I bet all of you can do that. I've just given you the specialized training you need. If you can talk, you have all the skills you need. If you have a heart for your friends, and if you're a follower of Christ, you do. You have everything you need. So right now, as we close the service, I'd ask you to do something. Pull out your... If you don't have it out already, your message outline. And on the back of that message outline, I want you to write down two groups of people. I want you to write down the first group. You write down the word community bash. And I want you to write down names of people that you know that you need to invite to the community bash. And then I want you to put another line down there a little bit further down. And I want you to put the word Sunday worship. August 26th. And I want you to write down names of people that you need to invite to that. And then what I want you to do is to take that and I want you to put it on your refrigerator. And you're going like, some of these people might be in my household. Well, that'll start some interesting conversations. But I want you to use that as a prayer list this whole week. Not only to pray about it, but to invite these folks to come and see.
Let's pray. God, we come to you, and we realize that more than anything, what it is in our lives is we need you. You have sought us out. Scripture tells us clearly that even though we think we found you, you found us. You were always seeking us, God. You seek it. Your, your mission, the mission of your son, Jesus Christ, was to seek and save that which was lost. And when we become, become disciples of Christ, followers of you, our mission, your mission becomes our mission. Your purpose becomes our purpose. And so, God, we realize that found people do find people. But being successful does not mean that we help them, you know, take the final step across the line, because that's just one measurement of success. Measurement of success is that we are willing and able to understand where people are, to be sensitive to that, and then to make a commitment to help them to take their next step, wherever it may be. And it may be a long process. For some people, it's years. Some people, it's not that long. But God, at the same time, we realize that you've called us to that. And help us to understand that every, take, helping people through every step is just as important as every other step. God, help us, help us, help us. To take the first step of just inviting them next weekend to the community bash. And then others to the worship service. Where they can hear clearly what it means to do to step across the line and say yes to you. And God, if there's someone here this morning who has come and someone who's even come to church, but they've never made that commitment this, as well, that I would encourage them to be here next week as well, to be able to listen, to hear what it means to follow Christ, not just to go through a process of confirmation or a process of just being baptized, even those are those are good things. But it's about having a relationship with you, God, that changes who we are. So guide us, God. Guide us, God, this week that we will take that list and be serious about it and pray about it and, and do something about it. Because prayers are not just things that we throw out there to you, God. But you, we, we would pray boldly, God, that you would give us the courage, the strength, and the words to say to the persons we need to say them to. That you would use us, God, to help people to take that next step with you, whatever it may be. Guide us, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.